Good morning, church. Um, today we'll be in Judges 13. Please stand for the reading of God's word. That's page 213 in the Bibles around the room. I'm going to read the scripture, and then when I finish, I'll say, this is the reading of God's word, and you'll respond by saying, thanks be to God. And we respond that way because we are super thankful that we get to hear God speak. Judges chapter 13. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And you shall begin to save Israel from this hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God who you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? He said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord, and Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and, his, and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Menahadan, between Zorah and Eshtheel. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray, church. God, you are the giver of hope, the deliverer of peace. To you alone belongs our salvation. Have mercy on us, Lord. Help us to be instruments of your will. Humble our spirit to abide in you, that we are not wise in our own eyes, but let us be wise and devoted in trusting you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your redeeming grace and your abounding love. I pray you give us eyes to see and ears to hear to receive your holy message. Strengthen Pastor Shea. Give him your wisdom as he leads us through your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Grandma.
There's a man named Samson. He was very, very strong. Did you know that man named Samson? He was very, very strong. He wanted to marry Israel like girl, but his parents told him no. And there was three, three rules. He couldn't eat grapes, or he couldn't touch egg, any dead bodies, or he couldn't cut his hair. That's the three rules. But he also lost his strength because he told him to cut the hair. Did you know that man named Samson? I thought that was a little better intro than uh, the doom and gloom we've had for the last few weeks with the other intro. Uh, and that's who we're talking about today. Uh, by the way, my daughter was like three when she made that. So she said Israelites, she meant Philistines. Don't judge my daughter. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, today we're going to be talking about Samson. Through the book of Judges, uh, we've been talking about how these judges, they weren't like, they weren't like Judge Joe Brown or Judge Judy kind of judges. They were actually more like saviors, right? They, they were these many saviors that God set up because his people were under this constant oppression that they kept putting themselves under. Uh, and we've been saying the last few weeks that uh, because they weren't like, like Judge Joe Brown or Judge Judy type, uh, they were more like Braveheart, like riding into battle, saving their people from their, from their oppression, um, but as we come to the story of Samson, I got to thinking about that. He's not a brave heart guy either. He's, he's kind of more like Deadpool. Uh, and so for you guys don't, who don't know who Deadpool is, it's a, it's a Marvel cinematic character uh, who's, who's got a movie out recently. And he's more concerned with himself and, and what he's going through and all his selfish motivation. And he's driven by these lustful passions and stuff like that. And though he may occasionally save people, uh, it was all self-motivated and self-driven. And so, Deadpool in the Bible. There you go. Uh, and as we look at Samson's life, uh, it's, not, it's not the roses and picture, like roses and daisy kind of picture we get. Uh, I think a lot of us get that storybook version stuck in our head, and we say Samson is like the Bible, Bible's Fabio, right? He's you know, got long hair that he's flipping in the wind and strong bone features and you know, big muscles and stuff, right? That, that's not what the, the point of what Samson is. Samson's life was to be a word picture of Israel's spiritual condition before God and, and really highlighted what their special relationship was with him, and it was one of rebellion. By comparison also, it shows us uh, Israel and how we are just like Israel, rebelling against God. And so Samson, we have this, this imperfect judge or this imperfect savior that's contrasted with what we see in Christ as the perfect savior. And we see Israel highlighted as a rebellious people, and, and by comparison, so are we, a rebellious people towards God. And so the story of Samson starts, and it, it goes from his birth into his death. And basically what it's saying is after 40 years of oppression at the hands of the Philistines, the Israelites had forgotten that they had this special relationship with God and had settled for living as a conquered people. In other, in other passages that we read with some of the other judges, once they got to a point where they got tired of their oppression, they would cry out for God to save them. Uh, but the Israelites here had gotten so used to their oppression, they didn't even care anymore. So they stopped even crying out to God. They got used to living under the oppression of the Philistines. And so God raises up Samson to cause this dissension between Israel and the Philistines and to draw his people away from taking on the cultic practices of the Philistines and to show them, hey, you guys need a, a just king. You need, you need a king like me who's going to love you and take care of you. In other words, God is using Sam, Samson's evil to stir the pot and begin to graciously bring his people back under his loving rule. And what we see, that the, the primary sin that the Israelites had at this time, the Bible describes it as doing wrong in the eyes of God, but right in their own eyes. And don't we sometimes find ourselves there, doing what is wrong in the eyes of God, but right in our own eyes? 
We are in spiritual rebellion just like the Israelites. We offend God when we, when we go out and we, we make ourselves and our happiness the top priority. And so we buy ourselves things like fancy toys and, and quads and boats and stuff. And when that gets in the way of us being generous toward other people, we make our happiness the chief concern. Now we're offending God. We offend God by having relations with whoever we decide to have relations with. So we don't even ask God, like, is this a relationship you want me to be in? Can, can I have this relationship and they draw me closer to you? No, we just, we just get in a relationship with whoever we want. We lie, we cheat, we steal to get ahead at, at work and in life and in business. And it, over time, we simply stop caring enough about the fact that we're living in oppression and stop crying out to God for help. But there's good news in this story too. Because even when we are being unfaithful in this way, we see in the story of Samson that God is still faithful. God's faithfulness has nothing to do with our performance. It has nothing to do with whether or not we follow all of God's rule or whether we live our life in complete rebellion to him. If God decides to have mercy on us, he will do so. If God wants to show his grace, he will do so simply because he wants to show his grace. And that's the main point of what we're going to be seeing through the story of Samson. God has grace for his own sake. So, typically, we at this church, we like going through the Bible verse by verse and really digging out where we see going on and what's happening. We see Christ in the text. But y'all, I'm doing four chapters. So, number one, pray for me. (laughs) Number two, I'm probably going to be condensing some stuff. All right? All right, so let's jump into chapter 13, verse 1. As we see, the, the life of Samson is broken out into three scenes. We see his birth scene, his life scene, and then his death scene. So we're going to be going through it just like that. We're going to be seeing how God has grace simply for his own sake. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. 40 years. That's a long time. I'm getting ready to turn 40 next week. Don't, don't clap for that, by the way. I'm getting ready to get, don't clap for that. I'm getting ready to turn 40 next week. I can imagine, like, as you, as you live life and you come up under an environment where you're supposed to have this special relationship with God, but the, the people, like your parents, didn't have that relationship or they turned against it, and now you're growing up not even knowing who God is. That's, that's where the Israelites were finding themselves right now. And so God has grace on the Israelites, giving them a savior after 40 years of oppression. These are people who have completely forgotten about God, but God was still faithful because he loves his people. So God gives them a savior. God rescues them from the hand of the Philistines. That's That's the first way we see God being gracious. And he's gracious not because the Israelites were necessarily doing something wrong. Uh, Some of the kids that grew up didn't even know they were offending God. But sometimes God is gracious just because we live in a fallen world. Um, So we go to verse 2 and it says, There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. Again, we see God being gracious to someone who didn't necessarily live a sinful life. She She was living in a fallen world, and so her body was broken. Some of you may, may know someone like that, or maybe you're even going through uh, something in, in your life where you're experiencing your body is just broken. So maybe it's, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's, maybe it's cancer. Um, people have stuff like, like lupus and MS where their bodies just fight against them. Some people have HIV where, where it seems like nothing is going right in their bodies. But God is still gracious God still delivers his people, not because they're doing anything, not because they're, they're earning it or deserving it or anything like that. He's gracious because he loves his people, and so he looks out for them. It says, this mom was barren. Uh, I, can, I can relate to what this mom was going through, what these parents were going through. My wife and I waited for about eight years, eight years of trying month after month after month to have our daughter. And each month, reading that pregnancy test, and it just says negative, 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 negative. You can imagine the heartbreak year after year as we're, and month after month as we're trying to have a child, and God's just saying, no, not right now. Uh, but isn't it sometimes where those no, not right now's hurt worse than 
the actual no. And so I can imagine also the grace that the parents felt when, when the angel of the Lord appears to her and says, behold, you're going to have a son. Can you imagine the explosion of, of happiness when they say, finally, the Lord has blessed us? Um, God is gracious because we live in a fallen world. And then we see that God has grace towards Samson. The angel of the Lord appears to the mom and uh, he says, you're going to have a son and the child is going to be a Nazarite from the time of his birth to the time of his death. And if you're wondering, what, what is a Nazarite? Like, that's, that's a weird thing. Go back to number six. It describes what this Nazarite vow is and basically what it was. It was a way for the people of God to come to God and say, I want to do something special for you, God. Help, help me live in this extra special way towards you. And so God said, okay, if you want to do that, don't drink any wine or strong drink or eat anything from the vine. Don't cut your hair and don't touch dead bodies. If you do those things, you can have the special Nazarite vow with me. But if we notice with Samson, Samson didn't take on this vow. He was given that vow. He was given this special relationship with God. God, before Samson was even conceived, said, I want to have this special relationship with Samson because because I want to. Not because he's done anything. He hasn't even been born yet. He's not even conceived yet. But he says, I'm going to have grace on him simply because I want to have grace on him. It's good news, church. That means we have a God who's not looking at our performance. He's looking at the intention and character of our hearts. He's not looking at us at our sinfulness. He's looking at us through the lens of Christ to say, if they believe in my son, then they're right with me. That is great news that we have with the Father. And so we go through the rest of the story, how the Nazarite, or excuse me, the angel of the Lord appears to the wife, and, and she goes off and tells her husband what all happened. He was like, say what? And so they go in, and he says, God, if, if this is the man, if it was from you, I have him appear again. So the man shows up again, right? And then look at verse 11. He says, uh, Manoah starts to question, like, so who are you? Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. So, so right off the bat, that should, that should kind of pique our interest a little bit. You guys, you guys remember the movie The Lion King? A little bit? Okay. You remember the scene with the hyenas when they were sitting around laughing? They were like, Mufasa. And they were like, <laughs> Say it again. That's, that should have been what Manoah did. When he heard that name, I am, it should have drawn his attention back to the story of Exodus when, when God is sending Moses to God's people. And, and Moses says to God, like, who, who should I tell them sent me? He says, tell them I am sent you. It says God proclaiming himself. It's this angel of the Lord we can see is God come in the flesh. It should also draw our attention forward to John chapter 8 as, as Jesus is now sitting around with, with Pharisees and they're questioning him and they say, who do you think you are? And he says to them, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. The person we're seeing here that's appearing before Manoah is not, is, is not just some ordinary angel. It is God in the flesh. It is Christ Jesus himself. We can also look at John 14, 6, as Jesus is fully proclaiming himself, and he says, I tell you, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is Jesus declaring the birth, declaring Samson's birth to a heartbroken mother. And he's saying, I'm not saying no. I wanted to come and tell you personally. God's grace abounding. And so then we're looking at the story, and, and, and Manoah is trying to figure out who this guy is. And he says, so, so what's going to be the child's mission? What's he going to do? Is he going to play football? Is he going to be in the NFL? What's he going to do? He says, everything I told the woman, just let her do that. And Manoah's like, well, that was weird. Why are you being so rude? <laughs> and so he tries again. He says, okay, so let me detain you for a little bit. Let me go kill a goat. I can make some goat empanadas. We can have a feast and, and get this thing cracking. He says, if, if you make food... I will not eat it. Matter of fact, won't you burn it and offer it up to the Lord? Manoah is offering a table of peace, and all he's getting back from Jesus is this hate. Like, what is going on? So he tries a third time, and he says, uh, so tell me your name so we can honor you when all these things come true. And he says, why would I even begin to tell you my name, seeing that it is so full of wonder that if I tried to explain it to you, your head would explode. 
what is happening? Why is Jesus being like this toward Manoah? Especially since we can look back in the Bible, back in Genesis, and see that Jesus, it's not like he won't eat with people. He ate with, with Abram. Why is he being rude to Manoah? It's because after 40 years of the people of Israel denying God, being against him, just, just curtailing to foreign oppression, he was, he's like, I, I love you, but I don't like you right now. And, and, and we don't have peace with one another. And it isn't a bad place to be in that you are at war with the God of the universe. But for everyone who finds themselves outside of Christ, that's exactly where you find yourself, at war with the God of the universe. The Bible says we are enemies of God outside of Christ, that we're at war with God, that there's nothing can, that can stop the wrath of God except the blood of Christ. So that's where Manoah finds himself. And so they offer up the sacrifice, and as the smoke is going up, Jesus goes up too, and they're like, whoa. And so they fall on their face, and they worship God. Um, and that should be the proper response that we have to, to being in the presence of God. It's absolute worship. Uh, but I feel like a lot of times we come to, we come to church, we come to our community groups, uh, we watch the sun, that beautiful sunrise over those eastern mountains, and we take it all for granted not knowing that God is in the midst of us in every single one of those instances. Every breath we take, God is saying, here, son, here, daughter, I love you one more time. Our proper response should be one of worship. So that's the birth scene of Samson. We, now we move into his life scene. And it goes from chapter 14 all the way into chapter 16. Um, so I'm going to really shorten this one. Y'all thought that was short. I'm going to really shorten this one. Um, but we see in his life that it's, it's surrounding three central women in his life. Uh, we see his first wife, uh, we see the prostitute that he hooked up with, and we see Delilah, infamous Delilah, right? Um, and there's a way to read this, and we look at it and we say, Samson is just, he's a bad character. Like, I really don't like him. Um, but that would be missing the point that God, it was God who was at the center of this story, making war against the Philistines. And you're probably asking, what's, what's so bad about these Philistine people? They, they had the Israelites under their oppression. They, they, were, they were mistreating them, treating them badly, and, and not letting them operate within their freedom. Matter of fact, they were stealing the land that God had, had given to them. God loves his people, and he wants to look out for them. And so he's looking for an opportunity to make war with them. I'm married, right? It would, it would be, y'all would have to hold me back if some dude came into town and started mistreating my wife. Right? And that's how God is feeling about his people. He says, these are my people, and I want them out from under this oppression. And so he starts to make war against the Philistines. And so we break it up in chapter 14. He says, uh, chapter 14, 14, verse 1 says, Samson went down to Timnah, which is about six miles away. Uh, so it's like from here to, down to UNR. And he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And he was like, mm-mm, scrumptious. And he came and told his mom and his dad. He's like, man, I just saw a brick house. I want y'all to go get that for me. And his mom and his dad used this, this, uh, this racial slur. He's like, why, why would you hang out? Why would you want an uncircumcised Philistine? He's like, I don't care. She's fine. I need that. And so mom and the dad, they say, okay. So they go down and... In the story, as they're going down, some kind of way, Samson separates himself off from his family, and he goes into the, the vineyards of Timnah. But if you remember back from the Nazarite vow, he wasn't supposed to eat grapes or anything, right? So now he finds himself in, in the, the center of temptation, in a field of temptation, if you will. So he, while he's in there, a lion jumps out at him. Ha-ha! And he, the Holy Spirit says, rushes upon him, and he tears the lion apart. I don't know what that looks like, but he tears the line apart. Doesn't tell his parents. And so he, he walks away. They go down. They make preparations. They go back home. And on his way back to come consummate his marriage or get the wedding feast started, he sidetracks again into the vineyard because he says, I want to go see that corpse that I ripped apart. So he gets to the corpse, and he's looking at it, and he's peering inside of it, and he sees that bees had gotten inside and started making honey inside the corpse of the lion. Do you guys remember when you were in school, 
and uh, you're sitting around, you're tapping on the desk and stuff, and as you're, as you're messing around, like, you feel, like, that foreign substance under the, under the table. <laughs> and, you, and you're like... That should have been what Samson said, right? As seeing honey inside the corpse of a lion, but he didn't. He says to himself, this is going to be sweet. So he reaches inside, and he's skipping off down the field. Not only that, but he gives some to his parents unwill- unknowingly. So he goes from there and gets down to the wedding feast, and they're throwing this seven-day drinking binge. Um, once again, him taking part in wine. After he's touched the dead body, now he's taking part in wine. And he poses this riddle to the companions that he had. There were Philistine companions. And he says, if y'all solve my riddle, I will buy each one of you a change of clothes and a new pair of drawers, which was a big deal back then. He said, but if I win, y'all got to buy me a new pair of clothes and a pair of drawers each. So he was standing to get rich from this, right? And so they can't solve it. After three days, the, 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 uh, the riddle was, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And they're like, what are you talking about? And they can't solve it after four days of this drinking fest. And finally, they go up and threaten Samson's soon-to-be bride. And they say, if you don't get the answer from him, we're going to burn you and your daddy's house to the ground. So she's crying. She's distraught. And she goes to him, and she's crying on his shoulder, tell me, tell me, tell me. And finally, he tells her, so she goes and tells the Philistines, and check out in verse 18 what they give as an answer to his riddle. They say, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? It's kind of an odd way to answer a riddle. It's like answering a question with a question. What is that? That's actually, I think that's a riddle for us. And the question to us is, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Church, I'm telling you, it is the grace of God. And for those of us who knew what it was like before Christ, when we lived a life that was morally opposed to him, when we, when we were driven by our lust, when we were driven by the passion of our flesh, when we were driven by, by stealing and conniving and all these other things, now to experience the goodness of Christ is sweeter than honey. And what's stronger than a lion? What is stronger than the grace of God? Nothing is stronger than the grace of God. Not your sinfulness, not how you feel about yourself, not how other people feel about you, not whatever label you've been given in your life. Nothing is stronger than the grace of God, and God gives it freely to those who call upon the name of his son. And so he gets mad, and he says to the companions, if you hadn't applied my heifer, you wouldn't have found out what my riddle was. Ladies, this is not the guy you want writing Valentine's Day cards. <laughs> and so uh, he gets mad and says the spirit of the Lord rushes on him. He goes down 30 miles down to a coastal city, slaughters 30 people there so he can pay off his debts of the bet he just lost. Uh, but I don't want it to get missed on you guys that the spirit of the Lord rushed on him so that he could commit murder. And we say to ourselves, what is that about? How can we serve a God like that? But remember, these Philistines were oppressing his people, and he loves his bride and would do anything for her. And so he, get, he pays off his debts, and he goes back home, and he goes, he stays home for a while, and he's like, okay, I need to consummate this marriage. So forget roses and candy and cards and stuff. I'm coming with my young goat. And so he brings his wife a young goat. And uh, I guess that works back then. And uh, he shows up on the dad's doorstep. And the dad says, um, you called her heifer? I thought you hated her. So I gave her away to your best man. And so Samson gets mad. He's like, all right, fine. So he takes some foxes that he catches, sets them ablaze, and throws them out in the field. Burns down all of their grain and crops and orchards. And you're like, What? But again, it was, it was God seeking an opportunity against the Philistines, right? So now their infrastructure is crippled. Now, now they can't feed themselves throughout the winter. God is rescuing himself from his people. He's punishing the people who have his people under oppression. And so they get mad, the Philistines get mad, and they come up and they burn the wife and the dad anyway. And so Samson goes WWF style and just starts wrestling with guys. It says he... he, blow, he Verse 8 says he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. Uh, commentators say that's a wrestling move. 
that uh, Hulk Hogan used to do. I, I read that earlier this week. So they get mad and they chase Samson off up, up into the hills. And while he's up there, 3,000 men of Judah show up to try to capture him. 3,000 3, men of Judah, of his own countrymen, come up against him because they don't want to fight against the Philistines. They don't, they don't want to fight against their oppressors. God, in the story of Gideon that we read a couple weeks ago, takes 300 ragamuffins and defeats an army of over 25,000 men. 3,000 men couldn't turn on their Philistine oppressors? Sad, right? But then we look at that and we say, well, how bad are we that when somebody tries to tell us about our sins, when somebody tries to help us out of the oppression that we have, we turn against them and start hating them. And so they, they capture Samson, and he's like, please don't kill me. They're like, we won't kill you. We'll just turn you over so they can kill you. So he goes down, and as he gets down there, he rips the, the ropes off because the Spirit of the Lord rushes on him again, and he strikes down a 1,000 men, he says, with the jawbone of a freshly dyed donkey, once again, touching something that was dead. And as he's swinging this jawbone around, which probably still had meat attached to it because it was freshly dead, the story is disgusting. He's singing a song, he's saying, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've struck down a thousand men. Once again, God causing war against the Philistines. We could definitely read that and say that Samson was a homicidal maniac, and I would amen you. Um, But it's God causing war against the Philistines. It's God who is punishing the wicked, but using Samson's selfishness. And we can see how God, through Samson's first wife, completely crippled them through their agriculture and their infrastructure and being able to feed and clothe themselves because he burns down the fields and the orchards. And then we come up on the story in chapter 16, verse 1, the story of uh, Samson and the prostitute in Gaza. And so Samson goes about 45 miles away from home, and he's laid up in this prostitute's house. And as he's laying there, the the men of the city surround the city because they say, when morning comes, we're going to jump him. We're going to get him. Obviously, they didn't hear about the other stuff that happened. But in the middle of the night, Samson wakes up, and he leaves town. But on his way out of town, he picks up the, the security doors to the city and walks with them 45 miles or about 40 miles so they can't put him back on the hinges. And we say, like, man, Samson was strong, but why is that in the Bible? It's because God was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Cities at that time were surrounded by walls, and the only way to a city was through the city gate. That was their only sense of security and to keeping out foreign oppression and, and foreign invaders. But with the city gates gone, now they're open to anybody who wants to come in and, and attack or murder or, or do anything else they want to them. God's seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And then we have the story of Delilah. Uh, Verse 4 says, After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. If you look up the original meaning of the valley of Sorek, it's actually translated the valley of wine. So once again, Samson finds himself in the valley of temptation. Probably just going crazy, drinking all kinds of wine. And so the lords, verse 5 says, And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him and humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Uh, most commentators say that, that was, it was about five lords of the Philistines, so she was looking at 5,500 pieces of silver. Remember, they only betrayed Jesus for 30 she stands to make 5,500 pieces of silver. And I ain't saying she a gold digger, but. <laughs> Matter of fact, this is the lady that Hall and Notes were trying to warn us about. She is a man eater. Watch out, boy. She will chew you up. Money's the matter. And if you're in it for love, you ain't going to get too far. That's what they said, right? And that's exactly what Samson was doing. He was looking for love in all the wrong places. And so Delilah sets to motion, because she got to make this money, right? 
And so she goes to Samson and she says, tell me the source of your strength. And he says, okay, so if somebody binds me with seven fresh bowstrings, uh, if they bind me up with that, then I'll become as weak as any other man and y'all can capture me. Now, the seven fresh, fresh bowstrings were either the entrails or the tendons of a dead animal. So once again, Samson just kind of disregarding his Nazarite vow. And so she tries it. She ties him up with seven fresh bowstrings, and she says, Samson, the Philistines are on you. He wakes up, ha-ha, breaks out of that, chases him off. Now, a normal man <laughs> will look at that and say, so I told her what might happen, and then it happened. Hmm. Maybe it was her? That's a normal person, right? But something happens to you when you're living in the valley of wine, and the woman you're messing with got that lady magic. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all laugh at that later. It's okay. So that doesn't work. So she asks him, so what's going to work? He says, okay, if they tie me up with new ropes, that'll work. She tries that. Doesn't work. Chases off the Philistines again. She's like, you must not love me. Says, okay, 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 okay. If you take the seven locks of my dreadlocks and tie them to a weaver's weave, pin it down, that'll work. Tries that, that doesn't work. So now she's really on him. You don't love me. Why won't you tell me? Day after day after day. And the reason why I do that is because even the Bible says that he was vexed to death. It's like, shut up, woman. Fine, here's my secret. And did you notice how it progressed to him getting closer and closer? to what he actually thought was the secret of his strength. So now he tells her, he pours out his heart. He says, fine, verse 17, says, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And she just knew, she knew she had him. I don't know if it was that woman's intuition thing y'all got, but she just knew she had him. She didn't even have to test it out anymore. And so she calls up the lords of the Philistines. She was like, come with that money. And so she, does, she, uh, she probably feeds them some extra wine and uh, puts the lady magic on him once more time. And he's asleep on her lap, so sleep that he doesn't feel somebody cutting off his hair. So she cuts off his hair and she, she binds him up. She starts tormenting him, the Bible says. And she's like, wake up, Samson, the Philistines are on you. And he thought, well, I'm going to shake this off like I did the other times. But he didn't realize that the spirit of the Lord had left him. And it is a bad spot to be in when you don't realize that God has left you. That means you have completely submerged yourself into your sinful patterns. So he tries to shake himself free. He can't do it. They capture him. They, they scoop out his eyeballs and capture him and take him down to this Gazan temple so he can grind grain in the mill. But God wasn't done with the Philistines. He uses this as an opportunity. Once Samson is in the temple of Dagon and, and 3,000 men and women are, are all around the temple, he uses the opportunity to smash the temple around him. And Samson kills more people in that moment than he did all of his life. God causing war against the Philistines because they had oppressed his people. God will condemn the wicked. He is a just judge. He's so just that he even has to uh, judge his man Samson. And as we looked at the life of Samson, he had broken every single one of the Nazarite vows but God still loved him. Matter of fact, if you really look into it, he breaks every single one of the Ten Commandments too. Each one, like he's doing a check mark. And so he breaks every single one of Nazarite vows. God said, don't drink any wine. We find him walking through the, the vineyards of Timnah and, and looking at his character and everything else he did. I bet you that he was walking through the valley plucking a grape or two, just enjoying himself because he was living for his own passion. The Bible says don't touch any dead bodies, but we see him touching de the, the, the dead lion. We see him being tied up with seven bowstrings that were made of animal entrails. We see him grabbing the fresh jawbone of a donkey to murder people. He has no regard for the Nazarite vow. And then ultimately we see that God said don't get your hair cut, and he 
through some kind of lustful, whatever he was, stupor he was in, tells Delilah to cut his hair. No regard for this special relationship that he was supposed to have with God. And then he breaks every single one of the Ten Commandments. God said, don't have any other gods before me. The Bible says Samson was, was doing what was right in his own eyes, making what he thought the most important thing. God said, don't make any idols, but after we see the slaughterhouse that he did with the donkey bone, the jawbone of a donkey, he renames that place as an idol to his great feet, Donkey Hill. And then because he got thirsty after this tirade that he went through, he, he asked God, he says, God, you just going to let me die of thirst? Not even like, not even asking God to save him. Just super rude to God. So God gives him water, but he renames that place the place where I call forth water. Making idols for himself. He doesn't consider God's name holy. We see how he treats God just being flippant with his prayers. We see how he's supposed to be following the Sabbath, but it looks like his life is just filled with parties and sleeping with women. No job. Bible tells him to honor his father and his mother, but he scoops out honey and dishonors them by making them unclean, giving them honey out of the carcass of a lion. It says, don't murder. We see him murdering. No adultery. He's an adulterer. No stealing. He's a thief. He's lying to Delilah about his secrets. We see him coveting, chasing after four women that aren't his. Every single one of the Ten Commandments he is breaking. And God is saying to Israel, Everything I've told you to do, you find yourself not doing. You are breaking not only my law, but my heart. I love you, but you are, you are torturing yourselves. And God is saying the same thing to us. I'm sure if I went through and asked you about the Ten Commandments, you would find that you broke one or two of those on your way here this morning. Breaking God's law. Breaking God's heart. And if the Savior in Samson is the one who's doing this, what can we do? We, we, need a, we need a different Savior. We break God's law too. We are rebels just like Israel was. But there's good news in that as well. Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and, and that we were enemies of God in our, in our transgressions. But it also says it's by grace that we've been saved through faith in Jesus. And that even when we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. God will remain faithful to his people because he loves them. Not because they do anything special, not because they earned it or deserve it. God is faithful just because he loves his people. He is faithful, he is graceful for his own sake. And so then we come to Samson's death scene. And we see how not only do we need God's grace, we need his grace to be just. Because God will punish evil. And, and, and I feel like some of us need to hear that. Like, that God actually punishes evil. Some of us have been victimized and taken advantage of. Some people have been like, people have done things to them that they, they can't undo. There are things that are happening in the world that can't be undone, that people are just hurting each other. Some of us need to hear that God is not blind to those things. He will punish the wicked because his, his grace is just. So don't feel sorry for the Philistines. They got what they deserved. These were people who not only did they, did they have like these idol worship, Their, Dagon was the God they worshiped, it was, the, it was a statue, if you look at it in history, it's a, it's a person with the torso of a man, but the rest of his body is a fish. So they worshiped a fish god, and they would bow down to it instead of the living god. God is angered by that. Don't, don't feel sorry for the Philistines. Not only that, but they, their, their regular practice was one of human sacrifice, sometimes ch child sacrifice. They were doing abominations before God. Don't, don't feel bad for them. They got what they deserved. Don't feel bad for Samson either. Romans 9 said that God has set up for himself both vessels of wrath and vessels of glory. Samson was a little bit of both in his life. Don't feel, don't feel bad for Samson. Matter of fact, it seems that when we get away from sin for so long, we think it, its effects don't apply to us anymore. 
So one of the most gracious things that God did for Samson was to take his vision away. For a man who was controlled by the lust of his eyes, who, who, who would do whatever his eyes saw fit to do, for God to take away his vision was probably one of the most gracious things God could have done for him. Matter of fact, Jesus says something similar. If your right hand is causing you to sin, cut that billy off. It's better for you to enter into heaven with one hand than to have two in rotten hell. One of the most gracious things God did was to take, take his vision away. One of the most gracious things God did was to put him in prison. For a man who's, who's led by doing whatever he wants in the moment with whoever he wants, for God to say, I want you to slow down long enough for you to realize that you need a savior and that you need repentance. God will divvy out his justice as he sees fit because he is a just God and he gives his grace justly. He even, even with Samson as he's praying, look at, look at his prayer Uh, Chapter 16, verse 28, says, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Why why would God reward that? It's because this this is one of the one times in Samson's life that he actually calls on the name of Yahweh. Say, Yahweh, remember me. God is not in the business of rewarding us for vengeance, but he will reward even a mustard seed of faith. It's like he's looking for a reason to give us his grace. And maybe you need to hear that too, that God is looking for a reason to give you grace. He sees what you've done. He's seen what you thought. He's he's heard the words you've uttered, but he's looking for a reason to give you his grace. And so what we see in Samson's death is we we see our need for a savior. Samson was supposed to be this prototypical judge of God's people, but as we see him being betrayed by someone that was close to him, as we see him captured and mutilated by his enemies, as we see him put out on display to be mocked and murdered, as we see him dying in, in, in a temple stretched out between two pillars, we see he's not dying for himself, he's dying for his own selfishness. But what about us? Where's our help going to come from? We need a savior that's different than this. We don't need a selfish savior. We need a gracious one. And we have that savior in Christ. Jesus, in the same way, was betrayed by someone close to him. He was captured and mutilated by his enemies. He was put out on display to be mocked and murdered and then ultimately stretched out, not in a foreign temple, with a foreign God, but up on a cross. And he's not dying for himself up on the cross. He's dying for the sins of his people. We have that Savior in Christ. He's dying so that we can experience freedom from our sinfulness. And just like Israel and its flawed Savior, Samson, we're in need for God to act graciously toward us. We're just as wicked as Israel, chasing after foreign gods. We're just as wicked as Samson chasing after four women and living a selfish life. We're just as wicked as both of them squandering their special relationship they have with God. We for who the Father was predestined, we for who Christ bled and died for, we for who the Holy Spirit of God now indwells, have the the grace of God and should be telling everyone we can about how gracious and loving God is. But we don't. And quite honestly, we can't. We're, we're too sin-ridden. We need a Savior, just like Israel did. And in the end, just like Samson did. We need a Savior, not just to just save us from our sins, but we need one that can undo the effects of our sinfulness. We need one that's going to give us a new birth. And that's what we find in Christ. So how do we apply all this? Pastor Shay, that was a great story. What now? <laughs> um. Here's the thing, don't be like Samson. <laughs> I love y'all. Don't be like Samson. Don't, don't get to the point in your life where God has to gouge out your eyes to get you to see that you need a savior. You do need a savior. Don't, don't, don't get to the point where you're living this life full of, of lust and, and self-drivenness and, and life is just all about you because it's not. 
Life is about Christ and, and lifting his name up as, as the most important thing in your life. Don't be like Samson. But here's the other thing. Uh, recognize that you are like Samson. Recognize that there probably is something in your life. Uh, there probably is that lion back in the vineyard that you want to stick your hands inside. Is, isn't it interesting that uh, some of the sweetest sins you have to reach down in the death to get? Don't be like Samson. Don't, don't, don't live like what you're doing right in your own eyes is what's right. Doing wickedness in the sight of God. And then pray for God's grace because he is looking for a reason to shower it upon you. Amen? Amen. Y'all pray with me. Lord God, thank you for uh, the story of Samson. Um, it hit home with me in a way that um, is unique. Um, because I don't like him. <laughs> uh, I don't like his character. And uh, if I was strong enough, I'd probably try to punch him. Um, but the main reason I don't like him, God, is because I see myself in him. Um, driven by, by the things that, that shouldn't have a hold of me. Um, and so I pray for us as a congregation, God. Because we, as a congregation, are probably driven the exact same way driven for things that we know are going to be harmful toward us um, and not driven by your grace. God, you are gracious to us, not because we deserve it, not because uh, we've done anything to earn it. You're gracious to us simply because you love to shower your people with grace. So God, be merciful and gracious toward us. God, I pray that this message of grace would penetrate someone's heart today that they would take it and say, God, I, I have sinned against you and I no longer want to do that. God, would you awaken their hearts, whether they're hearing it for the first time or whether they've been sleeping on it for 40 years. Open our hearts to how good your grace is, God. Jesus, we love you and we need you. It's in your holy name I pray, amen.